All right, Daniel chapter 5 is where we are. Um, You guys remember God's people are in exile. God's people are taken captive from the holy land, from the promised land, and um, they are taken into exile. It's the Babylonian Empire who invades God's people. They invade Judah. They invade Jerusalem. They sack the temple. And uh, they carry out some of the items from the Holy of Holies. They carry out the people who lived in Judah and take them into what's known as the Babylonian captivity. That's when the book of Daniel takes place. That's pretty much the entire lifespan of Daniel is lived during this really dark time for God's people. You remember central to the story so far is King Nebuchadnezzar. He is the Babylonian emperor. He's the Babylonian king uh, who led his empire to take over Judah, who led his armies to bring God's people into captivity to the capital city, Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar has been front and center the first four chapters, but now uh, his time in the story is over. From chapter four to chapter five, we move forward roughly three decades, roughly 30 years, Nebuchadnezzar has died and gone. There's a few short kingships over the Babylonian Empire in between him and the king we're going to hear about today. His name is Belshazzar. Belshazzar, King Belshazzar. Um, But before we read uh, chapter 5, I want to share with you a little bit about myself. So from 2010 until 2018, my main ministry effort was to high school students. So the first several years of this, I did outreach at local high school campuses, especially working with the school's football team. And then in 2017, I was hired by Woodside, the Romeo campus, to come on staff and to lead their student ministry. And I love working with young people, teaching them gospel, helping them grow spiritually, helping them connect in, in, um, in community. In student ministry, there is never a dull moment. In student ministry, there is a lot of excitement, and I loved it. But here's what finally got me. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but this is what ended my student ministry career, okay? This thing right here. (laughs) This photo is from the sacred shores of Lake Erie in Sandusky, Ohio, at the Cedar Point Amusement Park. And every summer, each Woodside student ministry takes its turn piling the students into the church buses and heading down to Cedar Point for a day at the park. And I love being with students. I love eating at the Starbucks and Chick-fil-A that are in the park. I love even driving the church bus there and back. Don't mind it at all. It's all good, but I do not love the dragster. And I don't love the raptor or the gatekeeper or the power tower, none of it. But the dragster here was the worst. This thing debuted in 2003 as the tallest, the fastest roller coaster in the world. It was 420 feet tall. That's 42 stories high. And passengers would be launched 120 miles per hour in just 3.8 seconds. It went straight up this track, completely vertical, and then would do this tight turn at the very top, going straight back down again. And in this other photo, you see 
what it's like 42 stories high, 120 miles per hour, making that really sharp turn all the way at the top. I swear to you, when I was on this thing at this moment, my soul left my body. (laughs) And once it returned to me and we made it safely back down at the bottom, I immediately declared my retirement from student ministry. (laughs) It's over. I'm going to be with big people (laughs) who are scared of stuff like this. Because you've never felt so out of control. Hardly is anything so tumultuous, so turbulent, so violent even. And I thought about this out of control experience in light of how life can feel sometimes. In light of how our world can feel sometimes. Like who is in control over the story of my life? Who is in control over the course of history? Specifically, the book of Daniel is asking, who is setting up the figures who shape history? And how can I have any confidence that the timeline of our world isn't as out of control as a speeding car going down a mountain when the brakes give out? How can I have any confidence that the flow of history, including our lives, isn't as chaotic as riding on the dragster? Well, the book of Daniel is here for us in large part to assure us that despite how out of control, despite how turbulent, despite how chaotic our world may be, God is totally sovereign over ungodly kings God is totally sovereign over ungodly kingdoms. Our souls may be scared out of our bodies by some of the twists and turns that our lives take, but God is not surprised by any of it. Our minds may be full of worry about some of the changes in our world, but God is not troubled by any of it. Andrew Steinman is an Old Testament scholar whose commentary I've used for this sermon series, and this is how he puts it in his study on the book of Daniel. Quote, God's control over human events is found in every major section in the book of Bible, in the, in the book of Daniel. God's sovereign control of our lives, God's sovereign direction over the course of history drips off of the pages of this book. So in chapter 1, when Daniel is setting the scene for the entire book, describing how God's people were taken into exile, this is how he puts it, verses 1 and 2, first two verses of the book. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. So did Nebuchadnezzar besiege Jerusalem? Sure. Did Nebuchadnezzar take the Jews into exile? Sure. But ultimately, Daniel tells us, verse 2, it was the Lord who gave Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord was in control over what was happening to his people. Then in chapter 2, after Daniel receives from God the interpretation of the king's dream, you remember this king has a 
King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that alarms him. He calls for all the wise men of Babylon to interpret the dream for him. None of them can do it. Finally, he calls in Daniel. Daniel asks the Lord for the interpretation to the dream. He receives the interpretation, and this is how he responds. Verse 20 and 21, Daniel says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. So you remember the king's dream was interpreted by Daniel to be about these four successions of kingdoms that were to come. And after understanding that what this dream is about, Daniel praises God because it's he who removes kings and sets up kings. God is sovereign over the kingdoms that come and go. God is in control over the kings that rise and fall. And then in chapter 4, God humbles King Nebuchadnezzar. We saw this last week. God humbles King Nebuchadnezzar because he wants to teach the king a lesson. And he tells him this lesson three different times with the exact same wording. For example, in chapter 4, verse 25 Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know, Nebuchadnezzar, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And then two more times within the chapter, Daniel tells the king, you have got to learn that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. God is the ultimate king maker and king destroyer. As we said, he is totally sovereign over ungodly kings and their kingdoms. Were things hectic for God's people during this time? Yes. Were things off course for God's plan in their lives? Yes. They were in exile. They were in captivity. They were far away from the promised land. They were far away from the holy city, Jerusalem. It had been besieged. The temple was desecrated. And so in the midst of this chaotic season, into the midst of this tumultuous season for God's people, Daniel's message is loud and clear and on repeat. God is in control. And Daniel chapter 5, where we are this morning, it's just one more example of the rise and then fall of yet another earthly king. Last week we saw the rise and fall and return of King Nebuchadnezzar. But now, several decades later, one of Nebuchadnezzar's descendants, Belshazzar, is on the throne in Babylon, and he too rises and falls under the sovereignty of God. So I'll read these verses for us, and then we'll walk back through them a little more slowly. Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 31, a lot of verses. If I run out of breath, give me a moment. If you run out of focus, that's okay. Just zoom back in as you can. We all do it. Chapter 5, brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. 
Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the kings and his lords, his wives, his concubine, might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote, Then the king's color changed, his thoughts alarmed him, his limbs gave way, his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but... They could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His color changed. His lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple, you shall have a chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be made third ruler in the kingdom." Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself. Give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship. He gave him greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom Nebuchadnezzar would kill, he killed. Whom Nebuchadnezzar would keep alive, he kept alive. Whom he would raise up, he raised up. Whom he would humble, he humbled. But when Nebuchadnezzar's heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, 
He was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind. His mind was made like that of a beast. His dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of the Lord's house have been brought in before you, and you, your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them. You've praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see, gods that do not know, but the God in whose hand is your breath. And whose are all your ways you have not honored? Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck. A proclamation was made about him that he should be made third ruler in the kingdom that very night. Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here's the question I'm asking us as we work our way back through chapter 5. How can we endure through the reign of ungodly leaders? As we said before, we know that God is sovereign over them. We know that God is directing the course of history towards his eternal kingdom. But in the meantime, how can we stay faithful? How can we stay hopeful when the leaders above us are also against us? The first thing this chapter is going to teach us is to wait for the judgment of God. Wait for the judgment of God. So throughout this chapter, six different times, Nebuchadnezzar, the previous king, is referred to as Belshazzar's father. So for example, in verse 2, right at the start of the chapter, Daniel writes... King Belshazzar made a great feast, and when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had brought out of the temple. And this happens five more times in the rest of the chapter. The previous king, Nebuchadnezzar, is referred to as the current king, Belshazzar's father. And this is notable because we know from history that Nebuchadnezzar was not Belshazzar's literal father. Nebuchadnezzar was an ancestor of Belshazzar's, but he wasn't his direct father. Rather, the chapter refers to Nebuchadnezzar as Belshazzar's father in a metaphorical sense because it's pressing the point that Belshazzar is just like Nebuchadnezzar, his father. It would kind of be like if I referred to Barry Sanders as Jameer Gibbs' father. Because Jameer is just like Barry in his awesomeness running the football. 
or if I referred to Madonna as Taylor Swift's mother, because Taylor is just like Madonna with her cultural intrigue and fascination. Well, Daniel is referring to Nebuchadnezzar as Belshazzar's father, because Belshazzar is just like Nebuchadnezzar, his father. In his blasphemy, in his idolatry, and his arrogance. He's just like his father. Belshazzar blasphemes the God of Israel by drunkenly drinking out of the golden vessels that were meant for use in God's temple. Belshazzar commits idolatry by worshiping the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And Belshazzar, just like his father, lives with arrogance in his heart. In verse 22, Daniel says to Belshazzar, You, Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. So God's people are living under this idolatrous, blasphemous, arrogant king, and God will not tolerate it. God sends this spooky hand to write this message of judgment, mene mene tekel parson. He says to the king, Belshazzar, your days are numbered, mene. You've been weighed and found wanting, tekel. And your kingdom is being taken from you, parson. And then in verse 30, Daniel records for us that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. So yes, God's people may have to live under ungodly rulers. God is sovereign over who our rulers are, and in his mysterious providence at times, he may have us living under ungodly rulers, but he's assuring us through the witness of Belshazzar, our ungodly rulers will be called to account. We can anticipate, we can wait for God's judgment upon them. And so this means we do not have to take justice into our own hands. For example, Romans chapter 12, verse 19. The apostle Paul is writing to the church and he says to them, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Paul says to the church, you don't have to take judgment and justice into your own hands. You don't have to avenge yourself. God will, pay the, will repay the evildoer. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. And that's what we're seeing in Belshazzar's life. The long fuse of God's patience has run out. So Daniel and his Jewish comrades need not take justice into their own hands. They can trust that God would take up the sword of justice in his time. Now this is tricky for us as Americans. It is literally at the heart of our origin story that our king, the English King George, was ruling in a way that we didn't like, so we took up arms. We went to war. So there's this national impulse within us to fight kings, to fight rulers if they're not governing in a way that we approve of. Don't tread on me, you know? 
Now, we don't have time to unpack the ethical and theological justifications of the Revolutionary War. I'm just making us aware of this impulse to fight. Whereas oftentimes in Scripture, the impulse is to wait. To wait for God's justice. To leave it to the wrath of God. Brother, sister, when you're discouraged by ungodly leaders, when you're troubled by the chaos they're wreaking on our world, Daniel chapter 5 urges us that we can anticipate and we can wait for God's judgment. It will come that very night. The Babylonian king's life was taken from him. Secondly, we learn from Daniel's example here When we're living under ungodly leaders, it can be tempting to compromise. It can be tempting to compromise in order to gain their favor. But Daniel exemplifies for us here, living for the approval of God. Live for the approval of God. Sure, ungodly leaders are ungodly, but they're also powerful. And it can be tempting to want to be on their side. It can be tempting to want their approval. You remember what happens to Daniel here. He's asked to interpret this message for the king. He's promised that if he can do so, he'll receive a royal purple robe and a gold chain will be placed on his neck and he'll be made third ruler in all of the kingdom. So this is part of the ungodliness of ungodly rulers. Even though they're ungodly, they are willing to use God's people. Ungodly rulers are willing to use God's people if it will help them accomplish their own selfish ends. Belshazzar here is clearly an ungodly man. He desecrates the vessels from the temple. He worships false gods. He exalts himself over God. Oh, but when he needs help from God's people, in this case Daniel... When he needs to use Daniel for his own selfish goals, he's happy to do so. He's happy to shower Daniel with gifts and let Daniel share in his power. Belshazzar just assumes, I can use Daniel with my money, with my power. But look at how Daniel responds in verse 17. After Belshazzar offers the purple clothing and gold chain and high position... Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself. Let your rewards be for another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Daniel says, I'm not here for the money you have to offer me. I'm not here for the influence you have to offer me. I am here, king, to deliver God's word, whether you like it or not. I am here, O king, to deliver God's word, whether you will reward me or not. In his commentary on Daniel, one of the Protestant reformers, John Calvin, wrote this roughly 500 years ago. Calvin says, quote, God's servants who have to discharge the duty of teaching cannot faithfully act their part unless they shut their eyes and despise all worldly grandeur. You see, even pastors who would teach God's Word, we can be entranced by the desire for money. 
Even pastors who would teach God's word, we can be entranced by the desire for notoriety and influence. So pastors will start to say things that will get them those things. Church, beware. This is why the list of qualifications for pastor elder, the apostle says such leaders must not be lovers of money. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3. They must not be greedy for gain. Titus chapter 1, verse 7. So Christian, if you get a whiff of greed, if you get a whiff of worldly excess from any pastor at this church or another one, make your way to the nearest exit and find pastors who are like Daniel here who says to the king, Keep your gifts for yourself. Find yourself a pastor like Daniel here who shuts his eyes to the enticing offer of the king and instead he lives and speaks for the approval of God and no other man. You know, one of my secret goals for these sermons and this sermon series is that one of you ladies and future dad may be inspired to name one of your future sons, Daniel. Because holy moly, if a man was ever worthy of having his name carried into the future, it is our brother here. I was talking to my son last night about the figure Jacob from the book of Genesis. And we were talking to him, like, why do people name themselves Jacob? Like my dude stumbles time and again. Even God changed his name to Israel. <laughs> we got a cousin named Jacob and my son was just like, why? <laughs> now we name our kids Jacob to remember the grace of God. That is it. But Daniel, our brother, brought the truth to power. No compromise, full assurance of faith. After decades of being in exile, he still believed the justice of God will come. The promises of God will be fulfilled. I'm getting into this because I really want there to be a baby Daniel in the next year or so. Come on. How do we endure under the reign of godless kings, anticipate, wait on the judgment of God, live for the approval of God, and finally, hope in the purposes of God? As we make our way on this sojourn, hope in the purposes of God. Notice again, the last two verses of the chapter, Daniel gives the conclusion of the matter, and then the next steps for what is to come. He says, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. So while Belshazzar was partying inside the palace, these enemy armies were camped out just outside the palace, ready to attack. And Daniel lets us know that it's King Darius who leads this army and eventually takes down the Babylonian empire, replacing it with what's known as the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medo-Persian Empire. And importantly, Daniel lets us know that at that time, Darius was about 62 years old. And Darius is the king who just a few years later 
is going to let the Jews return to the promised land. Jews have been in exile this whole time under Nebuchadnezzar. And now Darius, a few years after this, is going to let the Jews return to the promised land to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the holy city, Jerusalem. So now rewinding back a little bit, before the Jews were taken into captivity by the Babylonians, before they went into exile, the prophet Jeremiah prophesied that the exile would last 70 years. So in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 and 12, the prophet says, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Then, after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. And then chapter 29, verse 11, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise to bring you back to this place. So God promises through Jeremiah, the exile will be 70 years, then I'll punish Babylon and you'll return to the promised land. And here in Daniel chapter 5, we see God keep his word. The Babylonian empire is overthrown and the king who will eventually let them return to the promised land, Darius, is now enthroned. And Daniel makes note that Darius the king is 62 years old at the time. So the entire time they're in exile, God gives life to Darius and starts to maneuver Darius through the ranks of Persian society and government so that he'll eventually take the throne, so that he'll eventually destroy the Babylonians. Now the Jews didn't even know who Darius was, how could they? But the entire time they were in exile, God was preparing the eventual king who would lead them back home. The entire time they were in exile, suffering. The entire time they were in the exile, struggling, doubting. Behind the scenes, God's invisible, sovereign providence was working in a faraway land to prepare the eventual king, Darius, who would let them go back home. Brothers and sisters, such are the ways of God. His ways are are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His plans and purposes are oftentimes beyond what we can grasp. So when we're suffering, when we're struggling, when we're doubting, we can have hope in the purposes of God. We can trust He's still at work preparing for our ultimate redemption. We may not be able to see how He's at work, just like the Jews didn't know that God was raising up Darius to eventually take down Babylon. We may not see in the moment just how he's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish, but the invisible hand of sovereign providence is always at work for the good of his people. No matter how bad the situation and the exile was a really, really bad situation, no matter how bad your situation, suffering, doubting, struggling, separation, pain, no matter how bad your situation, God is always at work, even if behind the scenes, 
to bring about good out of evil. And the ultimate example of this is the cross of Christ. Nothing in the history of tragedies is worse than the crucifixion. God himself put on flesh, but in our corruption, in our hypocrisy, in our arrogance, we saw fit to murder him. But even through this most awful event, God worked to bring about good out of evil. Yes, we crucified the Son of God, but in His death, He was also the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yes, we slaughtered Jesus, but it was in His death that our sins were paid for. And so I encourage you, friend, no matter how dark your circumstances may be, no matter how painful your pilgrimage may be right now, God is not absent. God is not complacent. The evil others intend for you, God intends for good. And you can anchor your hope in His unstoppable purpose. You may not see how He's working. It may not feel like He's working. But the book of Daniel is here as a witness to the invisible hand of God's sovereign providence working to form his people into his image, working for our ultimate redemption, hope in the unstoppable purposes of God. Life under godly rulers can feel like one of those nutbag roller coasters. Amen? But the prophet Daniel Again and again, he wants to assure us. The prophet wants to assure us God is in control. And until his eternal kingdom is fully established, as long as we remain strangers and exiles and sojourners in this foreign land, as long as that's the case for us, we can wait, we can anticipate his justice. And we must, during this time, live only for the approval of Him who is our God. And we finally can anchor our hope in His unstoppable purposes. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, let's stand as we respond to God's Word together. And I will pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for the witness of sacred scripture this morning. God, thank you for this powerful testimony that the throne of heaven endures forever, that the seat Jesus sits upon, our high king, it is an unmovable throne. From generation to generation, the kingdom of God advances and the kingdoms of men crumble and fade one after the other. God, thank you for the good news of your coming kingdom. Father, I pray that you would instill in each one of us the heart of Daniel, the heart of our Lord Christ, 
to speak truth to power, to live with humility before you and before others, to walk in the wisdom of your word. Oh God, this is a sojourn, this is a pilgrimage, this is a journey that we are not fit for in and of ourselves. We need you, we need one another. And Father, I trust that for many of us, this journey has taken us into the valley of the shadow of death. Some dark places, some hopeless places. So God, I pray that the light of your word would shine into the crevices of our heart. Hope. God, lift our heads. Fill our hearts to continue on this journey. No matter how difficult it can be, keep our eyes heavenward where Christ rules sovereign, supreme, even over death itself. Encourage your people, I pray. Father, I pray for any here who have the spirit of Belshazzar, who are in love with money, who lust after power, who are entranced by the things of the world. God, open our eyes to the futility of the false gods that surround us. Open our eyes to the lifelessness of every idol in our lives. And may we come before you, the only living God, to find hope, to find truth, to find life, to find satisfaction. Fill us, your people. By your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen, amen.